Welcome back to the Hollow Sky Podcast. We are your hosts. I'm Steven. And Kyle. And it is another fun-filled Monday morning, Hollow Cult. We hope you all had a great weekend, and you're hanging out with us this morning to try to kickstart your work week, as we are all trying to do right now. Um, this week, I dove into uh, what I'm just calling is strange entities, which is kind of a broad brush to paint with, but we come across, be it cryptid encounters, humanoid encounters, UFO encounters that are very strange one-offs, but there's just not enough meat in them to get a whole episode out. So I'm just going to start chunking them together and doing four or five in an episode. That way we can still get it out there and discuss it but it's that's just not quite enough to take up a whole episode. So I've got a five or six together today, and there are some weirdos in this one. So that's exciting. But first, we got to get through the business. So check us out at all social medias: Facebook, Instagram, YouTube, Twitter, TikTok, Discord, Reddit. Search up Hollow Sky Podcast. Join the Hollow Cult. Be part of the Hollow Cult. Uh, just again, today is our Monday show, which is our regular scheduled programming. Tomorrow, uh, our audio from the night shift will drop. Wednesday night, you can hang out with us at YouTube at 8 o'clock Central for our live radio call-in show. And then Thursday night, our listener encounters, which used to be on this show, will start dropping. Um, we got some good ones we just recorded. You're definitely going to want to check them out. If you have a listener encounter, you'd like to be featured on our Thursday show. Kyle's got some info that you're going to want. <coughs> you can write your story out, shoot it over to the email, which is going to be hollowskypodcast at gmail.com. This is the preferred and smartest way to doing that. You can send it over on socials. You can call or text the holophone, which is going to be 618-556-0837. If you need a refresher on any of this, it is in the show notes to make it nice and easy for you. Also, a couple updates. Uh, stocking caps and new shirts are in the merch store. So have at it. Go get them. Keep them ears warm with them. the stocking caps. I am in love with them. They turned out great. Uh, I hope all of you do too. That's about all I got on the update front. Hell yeah. Uh, if you'd like to support the show, like Kyle said, we have a merch store at hallskypodcast.com. Go over there. Stuff's restocked. We got some new merch popping over there. Going to have some new stickers dropping. Whole nine. Going to be awesome. Go find some stuff. Rep the Hollow Cult. We have a Patreon. You can pop over there if you'd like some extra uh, episodes. You can do that, get all the back episodes we had um, released prior to, and any new ones that drop, you can get our regular episodes ad-free over there. So it's a pretty good deal if you go over there and check that out. The best thing you can do is share the show. Share the show, share the show, share the show. Word of mouth, on social medias, whatever you got to do to get the word out there, we appreciate it. It helps us so much. Trying to get over this little hump we're in right now. Apple's doing some dumb shit with their podcasts, which have greatly skewed our numbers, which 
I know is just tech talk to you guys, but it definitely affects us. So any anytime you can put our name out there, please do, and we appreciate you so much. Speaking of putting our name out there, you can go to wherever you listen to podcasts and leave us a five-star rating and review, which helps us out. I'll find it, and I'll read it, and it'll be a good time. Our five-star rating and review today comes to us from our friend Tea Time with Trish. Trish says, five stars, love it. These guys are absolute dorks, and I love it. (laughs) Well, Trish. I appreciate that. Yes. We will take that as a compliment. Since there was five stars. Uh, Yeah, we are dorks, actually. If you get to know us, we're pretty lame. Yeah, this is a true story. That's probably why we don't do good at life. (laughs) (laughs) Wow. Wow, he's not wrong, but also wow. <laughs> but we do appreciate it. Like that that Absolutely. really does help us uh get our name out there. <sighs> Especially with a name like Hollow Sky, like people don't when we started this show, we weren't smart. Now that we're almost five years in, still not smart. Right? Agreed. Because you hear the word Hollow Sky, most people don't even know how to pronounce it. A. But B, people that haven't heard the show before don't attribute that to Anything, especially the paranormal. So we're kind of behind the eight ball moving in. So when you leave us five-star rating reviews, especially when you mention paranormal in them, it kind of kicks that algorithm going to our advantage. It's science and mathematics. Yeah, well, I'm not good at either of those, so that sucks. Yeah. My words of advice is figure it out and listen to us. Yeah. That's all I need. Just go to the dopest paranormal show and it will pop up. That's yes. That's true. <laughs> it's it's I can I can confirm that that is the case. Um we are the undisputed champs of the paranormal para- world. Paranormal world. The podcast world. <clears throat> yeah. As yeah. a whole. Yeah. You don't like it, fight us. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I can't that's say what that's what we're here for. I can't say anything to add to it. Yeah. We'll just summon entities and make them do our dirty work like everybody else does. That's what I'm doing right now. Mentally. Spiritually. <laughs> that being said. Lack thereof. <laughs> we're going to dive right in to some entities here. Let's do it. Um, I dug all over the place for these. I know a few of them. Uh, the Kryptonaut podcast notorious for finding these weirdos. So I use them to kind of give a basis on some. And then I went to some esoteric links on the internet, which is shady and I don't recommend doing it, but we're going to dive right in and see what you guys think about some of these. The first entity that we're going to talk about today. I had never heard of before. And this is the, it's it's a fun name to say, the Oyster Bay Sky Spitter. Yeah. That sounds kind of perverted. Yeah. Yes. Uh, The only thing that would have made it better is if it was Squirter. I mean, it could also fall into that category. Yeah, 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 yeah. So this takes place in Oyster Bay, New York in 1975. Garden City Junior High School science teacher Tom D. 
Dierkel. Yes. I like that. It's a D apostrophe E-R-C-O-L-E. Dierkel. He was leaving his house early in a summer morning, walking out in his driveway to get to his car. So as he's going, unlocking his car with his keys, you know, he turns and like we all do kind of take one last glance at your house. And at the peak of his roof, he sees this small, dark cloud. He said it was about the size of a basketball, but it was hanging much lower than all the other clouds that were in the sky that morning. He said it was also, he said it was just a bright morning. The sky behind all these white clouds were blue, but there was this one weird gray cloud just hanging at the peak of his roof. Tom says the clouds seemed to move and slightly enlarge as I watched it. The basketball-sized cloud floated back and forth across the peak of my roof, changing in shape from a small globular mass to a larger ovid shape, finally becoming abstract, multi-curved, dark, vaporous something. It finally measured about 6 feet in height and 1.5 in width. As I was reading that quote, it almost made it sound like it was trying to take the form of a person. Yeah, it reminded me of Mario. Andretti, the race car driver. No, just Mario the video game. Oh. Like the little cloud that's in there and does its thing. Oh, I thought you meant Mario, the actual plumber. No, no, no. I gotcha. No. Yeah, yeah. And it's no, weird. no, 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 no. <laughs> <laughs> so Tom kind of does the same thing that we would have done, and he just sort of stands there and looks at it like, what is, what is happening? Is my house on fire? Why is this basketball-sized cloud trying to turn into a person on my roof? Uh, he just kind of sits there, and he's a science teacher anyway, so he's trying to be all sciencey about it. And like, yeah, try that to come was up his first that, mistake. Trying to come up with an explanation. He said, at that point, the cloud entity said, explain this. What? And he said it was all... No, I didn't say it verbatim. Okay. But it's even weirder what happens. The cloud, he said, inhaled. He actually heard the air being taken in. Like, he said, from there, the cloud parted as if it was almost a giant set of lips in the middle of the mass. And then it spit a stream of water directly onto him and his car as he was standing. Hell no. In his driveway. He said he just stood there. Like, what is happening? And it went on for. He said between 30 seconds to a minute, he's standing there just getting pissed on by this cloud. Just Did he at least there. yell at it? I think he was in shock that the, cl- the the face cloud is spitting on him. Man, like, being, I mean, obviously I'm removed from the situation, but I would have half a mind to grab my fucking ladder and put it on the roof and go, all right. All right, we're we're going to figure this one out. <laughs> but uh, as yeah, yeah. As soon as he like still spitting on me. <laughs> as soon as he kind of got his composure, he sort of snapped out of it and as soon as he did, the cloud stopped and disappeared. So he's standing there, piss ass soaked in his clothes, car soaked. He goes in, changes his clothes before he goes about his business. As we all would, but Tom, being a science teacher, puts his ba- or his wet ass T shirt into a bag, and immediately goes to his classroom where he can run pH tests 
on the liquid. Okay, well. Tom's doing the. Tom's not so dumb. Tom is boots on the ground. Yeah, he's like, oh, I'm science-y. I'm going to do science stuff. So uh, he starts running the tests. Oh, they meant running. I'm like, what an idiot. Well, he probably was. Well, he wasn't running from the sky pisser, but he starts running pH tests on this liquid that's soaked his car and him. Guess what it was? Spit. Water. Oh. Just, just water. He made it sound so much like... like I set it, it up good, didn't I? Yeah, the obvious answer <laughs> is not the answer. No, it totally was. It was water. It's still fucking weird, and I don't know. The story would have been cooler if he would at least start yelling at it. He, I, I don't know what I would do. He was a science teacher, so he probably didn't yell. He probably I, legitimately did. He probably stood there in amazement, like, oh, my, I just discovered something new. I I can't say the words I want to say. It's, it's just going. Yeah, yeah, and he's just stoked about it. He's just absolutely stoked. I haven't had the science teacher yell at me, but I did have one tell me that it pained him that I was setting the curve in his advanced chemistry class. I said, well, sucks to suck. <laughs> and then I dropped out of the class. Yeah, been there, done that. But to this day, he still cannot explain as to what he saw. You know, um, no. on one hand, weather does weird shit. We see weird clouds all the time. Well, ball lightning. Ball lightning. Water spouts. Sky quakes. Um, we've ra- all seen... We've rain all seen, frogs. We've all seen weird clouds. Saw cross clouds. That's true. That's true. So, but lip spitter clouds is not that far. The cross, even the little dragons you see, they don't, they don't cloud pee on you. No, they haven't. They might. That's true. Yeah, the fact that it was a solid stream is sussy. Sus. Yeah. Um. Other kind of theories is maybe like odd weather is kind of the one where everyone's running. Maybe Tom didn't see what he thought he saw, but that's a real weird story to make up if you're going to just start yeah, making up shit. But like we've heard before about possible biological entities that live like in the atmosphere. Could yeah. it have been one of those rogue coming down? They saw Tom as a threat. When you're just a cloud, which is just water vapor anyway, you don't really have that many defenses, so you just, like, do what a squid does, and instead of inking him, just water spouted him. Also could have been some form of weird, like, UFO incognito kind of camouflage that was going on there. I mean, it could have been uh, referring to the other episode, Elemental. Yeah, I didn't think about that, yeah. You know? It could be, dude, I, it wouldn't even surprise me if they're like, yeah, clouds are essentially living organisms. I'd be like, yeah, it makes sense. Yeah, because uh, like, I, and Crippers yeah. of the Corn did the whole uh, yeah mushroom yeah. thing. And you yeah. can you listeners can call me dumb, and that's fine. I'm just not, I, I, I'm not science-y. I don't know how the world works. I did make a note here that whatever it was, I feel like it was telling Tom to mind his own business. Oh, most likely. Because, you know, it was just not doing anything until Tom didn't carry on yeah, with what he was doing. started gawking at it. Yeah. 
Just get in your car and go buy your teacher stuff. He was gawking at it. It's kind of like gawking at somebody and then throwing a drink in your face. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Which is extreme. However, it does happen. I thought that that was was a strange one I'd never heard of before. It is weird. I do like the one-off because you probably won't hear that one again. Uh, No. From there, we're diving into one I saw pop up on multiple different websites, though. I figured... We should probably go into this, and it is. I almost wrote an episode on this. The Robot Flowers? Yeah. Yeah. Well, here it is. We're diving into Robo Flowers. I saw it on one of those damn icebergs. Yeah. Well, we're diving into the iceberg. Let's go. So, quote, Mrs. Evelyn went, Mrs. Evelyn went has carried a secret for the past 50 years. In 1924, she saw and spoke to people from a UFO. It's weird. That was going to be my guess. The robot aliens. <laughs> robot grandma. Yeah. This was the headline from an article published in 1974 in the West Palm Beach newspaper called Weekday. Uh, beauty stylist Evelyn Went decided after 50 years of silence that it was time that she come out and let... Everyone know of the strange run-in she had as a child 50 years before. Evelyn goes on to say that she was playing in the front lawn of St. Joseph's School in Pasco County, Florida in 1924. She said suddenly she noticed a glowing egg-shaped object had landed on the ground nearby. The strange thing was so bright that she actually had to like cover her eyes when it came through. She believes the object's luminosity may have been so bright, so intense, that it knocked her unconscious for a moment. That sucks. Don't those kind of lights just piss you off? Uh, egg lights full of robot No, flowers? just bright lights. Oh. One, like super Hal- annoying. Halogen headlights is what you're talking about. Yeah, like yeah. when people drive 100%. with their brights on, you're like, you're an asshole. Mm-hmm. So I can only imagine there's a little egg shape. Comes down and just blinds you like the sun. So much so, much so. so that it makes you pass out. Yeah. yeah. Uh, she said the next thing she remembers was that when she was opening her eyes, the egg dimmed super fast. And she said the outside of the craft, for lack of a better term, was like the color of lead and it was pockmarked. Like it had been, it'd been hit with a bunch of shit. She watched in astonishment as a door opened on the side of the object and out came these humanoid creatures. According to Evelyn, quote, little people emerged. I think they were robots. I tried to count them, but they changed about so many times. They were smaller than I was and resembled animated flowers with faces where the bud would be. What the fuck? Remember, I was just a little bitty kid then, and kids don't fear flowers. That's fucking weird. So, like, they presented themselves to her as, like, flower people slash robots. Yeah, like, all all I can think of is, like, metal robotic sunflowers. Yeah, that's, that's pretty much what my brain thinks. I was initially picturing... Like, like they are, uh, I don't, I, I guess I'll use the word species derived from robotics and 
their way of like uh, a gesture, a good gesture was like, hey, here's a flower. Like you guys like flowers. I made you a robot flower. <laughs> oh, they were the robot. Flower. <laughs> <laughs> they took a hard left from where my brain was. <laughs> they were absolutely robot flowers. Which, which I mean, she makes a good point that even in even in seventy four, she was like. I feel like they were presenting themselves to me in a way that I would not be afraid of them. I'm trying to put myself in her shoes. And you got to consider that this is 1924 when this happened. Yeah. So, uh, so, so back then I might be a little afraid, but I, today I kind of feel like, I don't know if I would be afraid of robot flower people. Yeah. Especially yeah. if they were like way smaller than me. I don't think I'd be afraid. Yeah. Oh, but it gets different. Oh, they fucking turn into ultra flowers. It gets different. So, according to Evelyn, the robot flowers were carrying a piece. They had guns? She assumed that what they were carrying was some sort of weapon. And they were trying to aim it toward the school's science building. <laughs> Holy shit. Yeah, bro. <laughs> Hey, we just crossed into ultra dangerous territory. <laughs> so they, they're, and this, this is, this is a, a, a piece. Let me tell you. She said that they, they presented themselves as so small. They were struggling with this weapon. So what does Evelyn do? She's like, Hey, I don't want to go to school. I'm going to help you out. Holy she shit. said, let me help you. She offered to help them. With their weapon, but when she attempted to lift it, she found that it weighed so much that she couldn't even move it. Evelyn, Evelyn, Evelyn. Quote, I wanted to help them. They were so small. I was going to I was going to assist the creatures. They let me try, but I couldn't even budge this machine. It was then that Evelyn claimed that these little flower people began to communicate with her telepathically. They told her that stuff was going on inside that science building. Experiments were going on that they found disturbing. They went on to tell her that, <laughs> quote, Don't just fucking blow it up. If the work continued, they will destroy this place. The planet? The building. Oh. <laughs> I'm just picturing them just being little flower assholes and being so pissed about some dude making a volcano. They're like, that's it? Blown the fucking planet up. It made me wonder if it was like like a greenhouse where they're like <laughs> growing plants. They're like, nah, nah. Not happening. Underneath all the robot armor, just regular plants coming back for a vengeance. You Bro, know? this is like single-handedly the best story I've ever heard in my life. <laughs> Like, the visuals I'm getting in my brain are fucking priceless. They remind me of, like, video game enemies. Yeah. To, like, they're just dragging these giant weapons around. <laughs> like, yeah, the visuals I'm getting are priceless. Absolutely priceless. I love that she just tried to help. She's yeah, like, yeah. she's like, yeah, she's like blow, blow that motherfucker up, because I ain't not going in Monday. Fuck science. Yeah. <laughs> Answer that, Tom. You know. <laughs> okay, so as she was as she was recounting her story to the reporter, uh, the reporter asked, "Like, what were they doing in there?" And she said she didn't know. She was so young that she was not sure. But whatever it was, oh my God. the robot flowers 
decided that this probably wasn't the right time to blow up the school building in the middle of the day. So they began to go back into their pockmarked egg craft and dragging their giant weapon in tow. <laughs> At this point, Evelyn says that one of the entities invited her to come with them. She said that she almost said yes. She was uh, pretty intrigued. More so not not going with them to some like other planet or anything. She just wanted to see what the inside of the UFO looked like. Inside what the inside right, of the egg looked like. Right. She declined the offer thinking that her mother would be mad. If okay, she left. so okay, I gotta I gotta interject here. So Evelyn, I'm just, just trying to put the pieces together in my head. <laughs> You're more okay with being a mass pew pewer. Than going for a ride on a spaceship. That's a that'd be a, a boomer. <laughs> yeah, this is a. I don't I don't even know what to do now. <laughs> My brain is not functioning very well due to the facts of this story. Hot, bro. If I could do something to get out of school when I was little. Like, especially if it's somebody else's idea, I've probably been like, yeah, let's go. <laughs> I don't know. That seems like a really bad idea. <laughs> like, oh, well, this is a really bad idea. <laughs> well, I mean, I'm, I'm assuming it was on the weekend. No one was in the school. Well, that's assumptions. You don't know that's necessarily <laughs> true. You're right. You're right. Okay. So at this point when she's like, nah, nah, fam, you guys go about your flower business. They said, quote, they promised Evelyn to come back for... Evelyn says, they promised to come back for me in 35 years. But that was up a long time ago and nothing happened that I know of. Oh, I was going to say, please tell me she disappeared. <laughs> <clears throat> she said that as she stared at these beings, she could only... She said they closely resembled robotic sunflowers. That's exactly her words. She said moments after the hatch door closed... She watched the egg-shaped vessel ascend. Quote, all I can remember, remember now is that the saucer was laden-looking laden looking and very pockmarked. When it started up, its molecules expanded, and it turned silvery bright. The UFO then went straight up, hovered for a minute, and disappeared from sight. It must be noted that according to Evelyn, not long after her encounter the science building was in fact destroyed by a mysterious explosion. So they came back and finished the job. I cannot confirm or deny. And obviously, I mean, just assuming by these, the way their logic works, they're probably really shitty drivers, and that's why their spaceships all beat to hell. Unless they, well, yeah. Maybe, yeah. 100%. Yes. Because they... I mean, let's be honest, for an advanced civilization, they don't seem too bright. Uh, they dressed up as flowers. Can you imagine? Can you imagine? They jump out of their ship. They're going on their mission to take this science building out. And they just stand in another field of regular sunflowers trying to blend in. But yeah. They're all just... Rebel. Or you just see, like, a line of, like, seven of them with... 
they're all collectively holding a shoulder-mounted weapon, like a bazooka. I hope they're all holding one giant weapon. That's what I'm saying. Like, they're all in a line, and they're just, <laughs> they all have it lugged on top of their shoulder. <laughs> like, I'm, I, and, and I don't know, it didn't give specifics on height. I'm assuming they're probably about two foot tall. Yeah, they, Evelyn said they were shorter, they were smaller than she was, and she was just a little girl. Yeah, I'm, I'm figuring about two feet. Bro, I'm saying that if I saw them out there with a the seven of them are holding one rocket launcher, I'm probably gonna start laughing. Hit them with Roundup. (laughs) (laughs) That was that was a good lead in. I didn't even mean to do it. Speaking of Roundup, I bet our friend Jennings Frederick would have wished he had some. When he encountered our next Uh-oh. mysterious entity Uh-oh. known as the Vegetable Man. How do I feel about this? Kind of scared and kind of angry. <laughs> it's uh, all I I love all of our West Virginia listeners, but I'm just going to put this out there. This story takes place in West Virginia, and it is a very West Virginia story. We're going to go right in to our friend, friend Jennings here. So in 1968, in the forests around Fairmont, West Virginia, our buddy Jennings was out hunting, as West Virginians do, you know. What was he hunting, you ask? Delicious woodchucks. Whoa. Tasty. All right. Woodchucks. As he's out hunting, making his way through the woods, he hears a weird noise. He said the only way he could explain it is like the sound of a record player being ran way faster than it should be. Like sort of a high-pitched, like, jabbering noise. And it was being played, like, sped up. So when he heard this out in the middle of the woods, he was clearly like, well, that's not a sound I should be hearing out here. So he went snooping around. That's when he came face to face with a creature. He says, suddenly, there it was. A being with a semi-human, with semi-human facial features, long ears, yellow eyes. Its arms were no bigger around than a quarter. Its body resembled a quarter, a s- like a coin yeah skinny little things its body resembled the stalk of a plant in shape and color it was slender and green as he stood there like trying so to so it wasn't like a giant frankenstein of vegetables i mean so his body my... looked like a stalk. i'm just picturing a stalk of celery with super long arms and legs <laughs> Which makes it worse, doesn't it? <laughs> yeah, I mean, yeah. Like he I, goes, I'm picturing like cauliflower as the head, and like all these different vegetables mashed together. Yeah, I mean, it to probably create is. something, but it sounds more like a giant stick bug. Well, it gets worse. Okay. So, as he's sitting there, like face to face with this thing, right? He feels something ca- like catch onto his arm, no. in his hand. He's thinking. That it's like a briar patch as he's sitting there. Is he it looks, like baby vegetable? He people? looks down at what he thought were brambles, 
And it's this three-fingered hand from one of these long tendrils that was green like a plant. He said the fingers on it were seven inches long and had needle-like tips and suction cups at the end of them. That had attached itself to his arm. He said as he was standing there, he could hear a suction sound, and he knew that this thing was drinking, drawing his blood. He said in a newspaper... uh, It's a giant veggie mosquito. Yeah. He would go on to say that the being looked weakened and sickly. The jabbering increased... And suddenly he could make out words. Also, kind of hints that maybe there was what? some telepathic communication going on. Yeah. The being said, You need not fear me. I wish to communicate. I come as a friend. We know. You're sucking my blood. We know of you all. I come in peace. I wish for medical assistance. I need your help. Well, first of all, no, that's not how you, you don't. You don't come be my friend by sucking my blood. Sorry, that's not how that works here. If you know about us, you know that's not going to fly. He's lucky he didn't get an ass full of buckshot. Yeah, or if we just start throwing woodchucks at him. Yeah, something. Because if woodchucks chuck wood, a stalk is essentially of like a fibrous woody plant. It's true. It's true. So Uh, That sounds really gross. I don't know that I... Would like this, but I do have come to the conclusion that if you hear these weird mechanical metallic y sounds in the forest, that means you are extremely close to an unknown entity and you you, you should proceed. Away. No, towards. <laughs> yes. <laughs> so uh he goes on to explain that uh talks more about the creature that has him as it has a hold of its arm and it's sucking its his blood. He said it was almost like thorns or needles on his on its fingers that had pierced his skin. He said that the creature was v- very strong because it sounds it was, like a fucking parasite. As he's trying to pull away, it wraps more of these arms around it. Yeah, it sounds like a parasite. It's he's, like if if parasites could talk, I feel like that's what they would say. Oh yeah, I'm your friend. Yeah, I need help. Let me let me just yeah. <laughs> parasite and host. Yeah, he said yeah. as he was yeah, looking. Yeah. The creature just stayed face to face with him oh, wow. as it was sucking its blood and the yellow eyes he could watch. He said, it, the only thing I could attribute it to was my blood and it would start like going through the creature's eyes. He could see the, the red streaks going through this creature's body. Nope. The creature reminded Jennings of, quote, the stalk of some huge ungainly plant. He said it was surprisingly strong. Its eyes turned from yellow to red as they begin to spin, almost hypnotizing Jennings and distracting him from the pain in his hand. He believed that the transfusion lasted for about a minute until it released him. He quote said he says, quote, then almost as quickly as it pounced, the vegetable man raced up a hill, covering over twenty-five feet with each leap. So he got his juice. Yeah. And now he's Bounced. he's ready to go. Bounced. Well, at least he didn't drain him dry and kill him. No, just need a little sip. Hey, Hollow Colt, the weather's getting nice, and you know what that means. It's cryptid hunting season. And the first rule to cryptid hunting is good footwear. That's why we're excited to announce our partnership with Tecovis Boots. When you're out hunting the dog man or stalking Chupacabra, you don't have time to break in boots. 
That's why Tacovis is so nice. They have first wear comfort. It's hard to find this level of comfort paired with their styles when you're out hunting cryptids. And let me tell you, their styles are on point. I've always considered getting me a pair of snakeskin boots, and their pair is mint. They also have crocodile boots, caiman boots, ostrich boots, regular leather boots. They they have it all, and it's it's ridiculously awesome. You can even stop by their the local Tacova store, have a complimentary drink or two, and shop new styles. The smell of fresh leather and a friendly staff are at your service. Many stores even have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. And with regular live music and events, there's no in-store experience like it. So just imagine yourself getting a pair of legitimate snakeskin Hollow Sky branded boots. How awesome would that be? Nothing is going to intimidate a dog man like a nice pair of gator skin boots. If you can't make it into a store, just visit tecovas.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. They offer free shipping on all boots as well as free returns and exchanges and ship right to your door. Go to tecovas.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today. That's still really gross. Jennings then claimed to hear a deep humming from the other side of the hill. He assumed that this wood was some sort of ship that the creature came in on and took off. He felt that the monster was more extraterrestrial than terrestrial, than like a cryptid. Interesting. It's said that he was exceptionally tall, over seven feet, had a thin semi-human shape. It appeared to be partially plant-based, possessed large ears, striking eyes that oscillated in color. Um, The arms were very thin again. Uh, Gave him the impression of like reed stalks on a riverbank, it said. The end of its fingers were fashioned with suction cups that had thorns or needle-like uh, objects protruding from them. And that is the Veggie Man. I, I feel like the name does it like shitty, like a disservice. Like the Veggie Man is not a very good description no, of this. It doesn't, it doesn't, it's not nefarious enough. Yeah, yeah. Cause I like, you, you say Veggie Man and I don't take it serious. No. If you heard a, a gray alien sucking somebody's blood, people would be like, what the fuck? Yeah, yeah. But a Veggie Man, you're like, oh, yeah, that sounds like what a Veggie Man would do. Yeah. You're right. You're right. <sighs> but it is it is a scary thought to think that there essentially could be creatures out in the wilderness that mimic our landscape. It's the ultimate camouflage. Fuck yeah. <clears throat> it, it mimics our landscape in order to drain us of our essence, essentially. Dude, every time I walk through a thorn bush and I get stabbed, I'm going to think it's that thing yeah. that sucked my blood. It is kind of how a briar patch works. It just engulfs you. Yeah. I got a couple more here from that's, there. Uh, that's not fun. From there, we jump in to the Octo Squatch, which I also had never heard of. Is this like Goro? Yes. Cool. Yes. 
I also want to say that this dude has, this experiencer has the best name in our episode today. Archimedes Sanchez. Wow. That is a that's interesting. boss-ass name. So this takes place in the summer of 1961 at around 11 p.m. Our friend, Archimedes Sanchez, was drive. He's a truck driver. He was driving his truck down the roads of uh, Bosque Mountain in the Spanish province of Vizcaya. Uh, it was his normal route, driven him all the time. Archimedes and his riding partner, who decided to remain nameless probably because he didn't want to be tied to the Octosquatch, and you can't really one-up a name such as Archimedes Sanchez. They were driving around near Porto de uh, Barazar. I don't know where that is, but somewhere near the Bosque Mountains, ready to unload their goods and kind of finish their night off. As they rounded a corner, their headlights caught something at the base of an embankment on the opposite side of the road. Archimedes immediately hit the brakes because he did not know what they were looking at. He would describe this creature as being three to four feet tall. A quote, hairy octopus with a shaggy coat of rust colored fur. Wow. Yeah. Definitely did not go the direction I thought it was. It's weird. My brain did not see that coming. He says that the being immediately when the headlights turned into onto the creature, it took four of its tentacles, for lack of a better term, and covered his eyes with them like he was being blinded by the light. Right. Just immediately covered his eyes. He said it remained there almost as if it was unable to move because it was covering its eyes. So Sanchez says that neither them or the creature took off for several minutes. They were locked in like this, this like stare down, right? Um, I guess essentially the Octo Squatch got the best of them. And Archimedes looks over at his partner, who clearly had lower seniority in the company than he did, and said, hey, grab the jackhammer out of the back of the truck, fight this thing. <laughs> With a jackhammer? <laughs> That's what, With the jackhammer that they had. And I, uh, I'm assuming that his co-writer was the size of Arnold Schwarzenegger. Well... Smarter too, because he said, "Nah, I'm good." <laughs> he said, "That ain't happening. That's not happening." He says, "You know what? It's a better idea. Let's just back up. Let's well, just I back mean, up." If you really wanted to, you could have just ran it over. Yeah, yeah. Well, he 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 kept like bluffing the creature. He said he put it the truck in reverse, drive drive up to it and stop just a few feet in front of it. Truck in reverse. Kept doing it. The creature's like, nah, you ain't going to run over me. That's super weird behavior. <clears throat> yeah. Almost like he he was trying to scare it away. Yeah. Just, just to just to be rid of it. Yeah, he just wanted to be on his way. And he didn't have the heart to run it over. And he never got out of the vehicle because he was scared as shit. Right. And 
Anonymous I mean, is like, I am not fist fighting an Octosquatch. I mean, rightfully so. It's got six more hands than I do. B, it's only three feet tall. It's blind right now. I'm not going to be the guy who gets out of here and kicks the shit out of this poor creature that's yeah. obviously not at its peak physical condition. You don't want that on your on your conscience. Yep. Exactly. You know? So as they sit there doing this standoff thing, another truck drives by. Probably didn't know what the fuck was going on because it just didn't slow down or turn around, just kept doing its, doing its <laughs> business. Uh, neither man was willing to get out of the vehicle and either the Octosquatch wasn't willing to leave or it was unable to leave. They're kind of in the in the park to where like it it was being blinded by the headlights, so it could not move. Did they just turn the lights off so it could leave? Uh, they just left. Oh. Finished their run. They eventually just drove away. But then as he, Archimedes, sat there, he's like, bro, that shit was weird. So let's go back and look for it. And when he did, it was gone. I mean, that's usually how that works. <clears throat> These multi-appendage cryptids are interesting to me because you have this one, you have the infield horror, which is a tripod walking around. Uh, then we go to this next encounter I have here, which I added because it's so similar to the Octo Squatch. Well, kind of similar to the Octo Squatch. It is adamantly named Stumps. Okay. Ah, yes. I know uh, there's a bunch of different books that covered this. Uh, Weird America, a book I've used before, and I got a lot of shit for using it as a source because the guy's apparently a piece of shit. Uh, but on to the story. April 5th, 1966, right outside of Newport, Oregon. 16-year-old Kathy Reeves, along with, again, a friend that shall not be named, had a run-in with multiple creatures that almost cannot be explained. The night that it happened, the two teens were walking toward Kathy's home. When, as you do, it's late at night, you're kind of walking, you get the feeling that you're being followed or that you're not alone, you're being watched, right? The girls immediately turned around to see a light at the end of the road. She said it kind of looked like a flashlight with a cover on it, like almost someone was trying to conceal it. So Kathy and her friend thought that they were being kind of trailed by a prankster, a group of boys, just trying to scare them, right? Them, again, I don't know if it's the time period or what, they turn around, pick up some rocks, and start to throw it at this thing. Throw it at the boys. They're like, hey, we're just trying to get home. Leave us alone. As the rocks started pelting around it, the light turned off. And then they heard, uh, not heard, but they saw that much brighter beings of light, beams of light were being turned on. So they throw the rocks. This dim light shuts off, and then all these bright ones turn on. And just immediately envelop the two girls. They saw 
a dome-shaped object sat in the road behind them. They said it was as tall as a one-story house. Um, It also began, it was surrounded by lights, and it had billows of what they thought was smoke coming off from underneath it, almost as if they thought that it was on fire. At this point, the girls aren't so brave. They decided to start running away from whatever this is, which is a smart move. I agree. Throw rocks, turn and run. She, they start running toward uh, Kathy's parents' house, her home. They did not make it. As the terrified girls turn the corner to try to distance themselves from the dome craft that was in the road, they're stopped. They just stopped dead in their tracks. Because walking across the road, their path, heading over a uh, little ditch that led toward the dome, were three entities that are, I don't know, I'll just, this interview was done by Deputy Sheriff Thomas Price. Reeves would describe the creatures as resembling three headless, armless Little tree stumps, quote, little tree stumps scuttled across the road on spider like appendages that resembled tap roots. <laughs> if that wasn't weird enough, Kathy would go on to say that the creatures were clad in multicolored outfits, <laughs> orange, blue, white, yellow and watermelon colored. The girls stared in disbelief as these speedy little Stump entities made it over the ditch and out of sight. It's literally, I was going to say by the name of your the episode or story here, I was going to ask if they were tree stumps. But I'm like, eh, I'm not even going to say that because that's just stupid. It's real, bro. Turns out it's a real thing and they almost coordinate their clothes. It reminds me of like the squid billies. Like a squid creature. Yeah. I was going to say like Snow White and the Seven Dwarves. Snow White and the Seven Squidbillies. Yeah. Weird. Dude, These, it's these one-offs that you hear about and you're just like, like, what do you even classify it as? Obviously, it's you would almost, you'd have to put it in some sort of, of extraterrestrial camp because I saw a craft, right? That's true. But it's so far out of bounds as to what we initially think of as extraterrestrials that it's just... You don't even know what to do with it. No. It's it's bizarre. It is bizarre. I love it, though. Uh, Price did come out later on. Like, a bunch of people kind of kind of descended onto the area after the girls came out with their story, looked around, didn't find anything. But years later, Price, who's still working as a deputy or a sheriff or whatever, uh, did say that he he had seen strange lights moving around the Reeves' home after the initial encounter. It makes you wonder what they were doing. Clearly, they were not there for the girls. But... It's almost like they didn't want to be seen by the girls because the initial light was was dimming itself to where it couldn't be seen. Right. And then they... Started throwing rocks and yeah. pissing them off. 
stupid games, stupid prizes. Right. And I almost, you almost wonder if the light was like shown on the girls to scare them off or the light was like shot out to tell the stumpies, Hey, get your ass back here. We need to get the hell out of the, yeah. out of town. It's true. It's weird, bro. It is a super weird story, <laughs> but I, I do, I do like it. It's just, it's one of those ones where if you, if we were driving, I was driving Kyle and I got home and I said, Kyle, I just saw three tree stumps in jumpsuits, multicolored jumpsuits, run across the road on my way home. You would say. And I seen Buzz Lightyear. Take a drug test. Yeah, I'd be like, dude, go to bed. (laughs) Whatever you're on, you're hallucinating. Yeah, it's so weird. Yeah, I I would almost... I would 100% not believe you until we got together and I saw the look on your face and you're like, no, I swear. And you're like, yeah. I'd be like, okay, you saw, you saw, um, yeah, <laughs> you saw what you saw. So jumpsuit, jumpsuit, jump <laughs> tree stumps. It's so bizarre. This last, this last, uh, thing I put together here, it's unknown. What kind of phenomena this is. It could be an entity that we don't know about. It could be something wired in our brains. It's just bizarre. But it definitely splits off on two separate paths. And this is what's known as the third man. So, the third man or third man factor is a name given to an unseen presence reported mainly by mountain climbers hikers, or people that are essentially by themselves throughout history. The witnesses find themselves in these groups behaving as if an extra person is present in the group, but there's no evidence of a person ever being there or ever being seen. Uh, So much so that the presence is so strong among them that they find themselves actually preparing food and bedding for these unknown occupants, unknown That's entities. Weird. Fucking weird, right? That's super weird. Um, despite it being known as the third third man factor, it's uh occurs in parties of all numbers. So there are uh, encounters with like lone mountain climbers that will be getting to a point of exhaustion where they're like, they just want to lay down, but they, they don't essentially, if you're going to, if you're going to give up, you're probably going to die on the side of this mountain. Right. But they, they don't, they push through when they get back, they got tails that they, there were, I met another hiker up there. There was another person with me, uh, shipwreck survivors, people, polar explorers out in the middle of nowhere. Some accounts I've got here are, uh, Ernest Shackleton, Frank Worsley, and Tom Crean uh, from May of 1916. They were out on a whaling station. They made it to a whaling station on the north coast of South Georgia. Uh, they've been walking for 36 hours in horrific conditions in an attempt to reach help for the rest of their party. Three of their crew were stuck on the south side of the island with the remainder stranded on Elephant Island. 
To reach this specific whaling station, the three men had to cross the island's mountainous interior with just a rope and an axe in a journey that pretty much nobody had ever done before. Uh, When they wretched Stormness, they managed to save their entire crew. They didn't talk about it at the time, but weeks later, all three men reported an uncanny experience during their trek, a feeling that, quote, often there were four, not three men on their journey. The fourth that accompanied them had the silent presence of a real person, someone walking with them by their side, as far as the whaling station, but no further. Shackleton was apparently so affected by the experience, he would... He just refused to talk about it. When it was brought up, he he said, we cannot talk about this. This is something that cannot be spoken of. I'd read accounts where this specific one, they it had got so bad, the men had tied themselves together, the three men had tied themselves together with rope, and there was extra rope at the end. Well, as they were trekking over the mountain, the rope was let go, and the third man that was tied to the rope could feel someone else behind him putting pressure on the rope. But overall, <clears throat> the entity seems like it's benign. Positive. And we will we'll continue to touch on this. But there's an alternate. Oh, okay. Because initially my brain goes to like an ancient like deity of travel. Yeah. And and stuff like that, like something that's going it's like it's like a a protector of travelers and wanderers. I feel I feel like it's very very something that the Vikings would call upon. Yeah, like yeah, a, like a like a, tra- a protector of travelers. Yeah, like, yeah. Uh, Charles Lindbergh, the solo f- flight guy tied to St. Louis. You know, he writes of what he called phantoms on board of his plane in his 1927 attempt to make the first solo nonstop transatlantic flight from New York to Paris. He talked about struggling to stay awake during the 33-hour flight. He felt that his companions were friendly and helpful. He said they were, quote, conversing and advising on my flight, reassuring me that I was going to make it, giving me tips on how to make it, he wrote later in an interview. A British explorer... Frank Smith almost became the first person to reach the mount or the summit of Mount Everest. The trek to the top was so rough and almost disastrous that his whole hiking party had fallen back, unable to make it because the wind was so bad and the snow and the ice and the oxygen had just depleted. Smith continued. He never made it to the top. He missed by only a thousand feet while someone Later writing, while he was later writing in his diary, he described something that the scientists refer to as a third man factor. He recounted, at one point during the ascent, he reached into his pocket, pulled out some uh, mint cake that he had. He broke it in half and turned around to give the other half to the companion that was behind him that kept encouraging him further up the mountain. He turned around. He said, the whole time I was climbing alone, I had a strong feeling that I was accompanied by a second person. The feeling was so strong that it completely eliminated all of the loneliness I may have felt being on that mountain by myself. I could see how this could be negative now. (sighs) On the flip side of this, we have 
entities essentially in the same vein. We don't know if they're some sort of weird phenomenon, paranormal entities. You know, a lot of people uh, kind of compare them to that call of the void, the high place phenomenon where our brains like, Hey, jump off this building. Yeah. You know, that's what I was going to say is like it, if, cause that case in particular, the mountain climbing case, you spoke on the winds being super bad, the oxygen depleting and this entity, this third party is going, but just keep going. Yeah. But just keep going, but just keep going. Almost like it's pushing you further into essentially the void, yeah. the suicide, the, the your own death. So I, I definitely could see how you, one would perceive it to be that way, but it seems like also unless there's other cases here that kind of depict the void more, it it seems like no offense, Mister Traveler entity, but your your choice, your professional choice there on gambling on souls is a rather shit one. <laughs> because it seems like in more cases than not, the person succeeds in their travel versus yeah. getting pushed over the edge. Uh, this takes us down to more um, negative paths, I guess. One attributes this third man... Uh, phenomenon to another entity known as the gray man or the big gray man. Uh, it's essentially uh, an entity of Scottish folklore. I'm reading off the wiki here. For I've that. heard of the gray man. It's a presence of a creature, which is said to haunt the summit and passes of Ben McDewey, the highest peak of the Carngorns. I know they're going to attack me for this, but the second highest peak in the British Isles. There have been many reported encounters with the big gray man. Few eyewitnesses have actually seen the entity. It is reported to be very thin and over 10 feet tall. Dark skin, dark hair, long arms, broad shoulders. Most often, the creature remains unseen in the fog of the mountain. With encounters limited to the sound of crunching gravel as it walks behind climbers and a general feeling of unease around the mountain. Uh, Very little tangible evidence uh, exists, but they have found footprints of what they assume is this, this figure. Uh, It uses the mist to kind of cloak itself. And it's said to prey on unwary, unwary travelers. Uh, An encounter here. I was returning from the car on the summit in a mist when I began to, when I began to think I heard something else than merely the noise of my own footsteps. Every few steps I took, I heard a crunch, then another crunch, as if someone was walking after me, but taking steps three or four times the length of my own. I said to myself, this is all nonsense. I listened and heard it again, but could see nothing in the mist. As I walked, as I walked on, the eerie crunch kept crunching behind me. I was seized with terror and took to my heels, staggering blindly among the boulders for four or five miles trying to get down through the forest. Whatever you make of it, I do not know, but there's something very strange about the top of Ben McDewey, and I will never go back there again. There are more accounts of encounters with this gray man, but I just wanted to put him in there because it kind of falls in 
in the same vein as whatever this third man is that possibly there are multiple of these third men out there. That's kind of what I was going to say. It, 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 it's no different than anything else in, in like our studies here that there's a good and a bad, you know, like who's to say somebody didn't curse the land of travelers and hikers. And then over here, somebody blessed the land for travels and, and shit like, you know what I mean? Like, yeah creating two different scenarios or entities of, of polar opposites. Yeah. This, this also linked me to what would be almost the mere flip side of the positive third man. And this, uh, feeling experience has been coined as panic in the woods with many people capitalizing the P a N and panic as in, Gotcha. Gotcha. Panic in the woods is the name given to a mysterious force experienced by those far from civilizations, such as hunters, campers, and hikers. Victims sense imminent danger, making them want to flee the area, often running blindly into the woods and becoming lost. Survivors claim they felt at the time that they had to run. They didn't know where, but they had to run. Whenever they regained their sanity, they were completely lost in the woods. Uh, some places are credited with what they call death by panic, which is an uncaused, irrational terror that makes these people run away. Um, here are a few cases. Uh, 1953, on a sunny summer's afternoon, this person says my father and uncle were sea fishing off some rocks near Waterville in Cobert or in Co-Carry. I don't know what that means, but both were young veterans of the Second World War. My dad had been a decorated more than once for ba- bravery. At one point, my uncle told me that his line had snagged on something underwater. As he tried to tug it free, he had the distinct feeling that something was holding it. A horror began to creep over him as if whatever was pulling on the other end of this line was intelligent and terrible. He glanced over at my father, who was deathly pale, already watching him struggle with this line. Almost simultaneously, they threw down their fishing rods and, quote, ran for their lives, not stopping till they were back at their hotel. Um, Another, my supervisor at Cambridge, uh, Tom Hinn, had an experience similar to my father's. He describes the experience in his autobiography, Five Arches. As a teenager in 1915, he was fishing a tributary near uh, of the Shannon near Paradise, his family's estate in Galway, when, as he writes, quote, an overpowering fear attacked me, utterly cold in quality and terrible because of its irrationality in this sunlit place. I remember that I dashed out of the water, up and out of the hollow, and ran and ran and ran, until after miles I became came within sight of a cottage. There was never anything following me. Um, there is a couple more here that I was going to read. Um, John uh, Buchan, former governor general of Canada, talks about how in 1910 he set out to climb a small peak called the Alpspitz. Uh, he was accompanied by a young forester named Sebastian as he reached the top 
at about nine in the morning. They had breakfast in a mountain inn before beginning the six mile walk back down to the valley. It was a brilliant summer day with a promise of great warmth, but our road lay through uh, shady pine woods and flowery meadows, he wrote. I noticed that my companion had fallen silent. I glanced at him and was amazed to see that his face was dead white. The sweat beads were running on his forehead, and then his eyes were staring ahead of us as if he was in absolute fear, as if terror were all around him so that he dared not look any other direction than forward. Suddenly, he began to run, and I ran too, uh, some power that wasn't myself constraining me. Terror had seized me completely. I did not know what I was afraid of or what I dreaded. It was like um, the epidemic of giggling which overcame children, uh, years ago, we ran and we ran and we ran. It's like we finally met the, met the Valley Highway, extremely exhausted. There is a recent um, account of something similar. I don't know if we talked about it before. I know I've read about it a lot, and I don't know if I've talked about it in Missing People the, uh, in the Forest, but it is the case of Terrence Woods who was helping a film crew. He was filming something for either Discovery or History. Yeah, we've talked about this slightly before. Yeah, they had just finished up shooting and wrapping for the day when Terrence, who, according to the others, had been unusually silent for a few hours. He approached the ridge of land a little away from the group that dropped steeply down a hillside to the forest below. He was reported to stand there for a moment and then to everyone's shock, without a word, he tossed his two-way radio to the ground that he was holding and took off running at full speed. He went hurtling over the edge of the ridge and down the hill, still at as fast a pace as he could run into the thick woods at the bottom and just disappeared. It happened so fast that the rest of the crew could not pull themselves together and react until Terrence was out of the sight of the trees. Um, to this day, no one has found him. That's crazy. It's it's weird that this phenomenon has happened and is still happening. I when they started referring to Pan, I decided because I don't. I'll be the first to say I do not know a lot about it, but it is the root, essentially the root for panic, right? Um, in the lore that I found, they say that if you're in solitary, quiet, lonely places in the forest and you disturb Pan's afternoon naps, he will either shout or he will play his instrument, his flute or whatever he plays. And those sounds inspire uh, unbridled terror and panic and causes people to freak out, just run away. So there is some folklore behind the... Uh, so regardless, this thing's been happening for a while. Yes. Yes. Again, um, not sure if it's an entity. Don't know what it is. It was just very interesting. And I had heard bits and pieces about it, but I'd never really looked into it. Uh, you could, We could probably go off on a whole episode by Pan itself, but I just wanted to put this in there that, I mean, it's just as just as... I guess logical is not the word, but just as accepted that this could be some sort of entity out in the forest. Why not? I mean, tons of people report going out in the woods and feeling like they're watched. Oh, I've 
like I t- I've, yeah, I've said it absolutely. When I'm up walking through the fields, I hear stuff walking beside me. Yeah. I don't. It could be a squirrel. It could be a turkey. I don't know what the fuck it is, but I hear it, and it does instill a sense of fear. Yeah, because you don't know what you're it not is. by yourself. You don't know what it is. And I've been in the woods. I talked about it before. And Got you lose lost. You lose your bearings. Ultimate fear. Oh yeah. Just abs like I've been in the those those woods I've been in hundreds of times. Hundreds of times. I get turned around and I don't know where I'm at. Instant fear. Instant fear. Yep. But that's that for today's episode. I just thought, again, I put some of these weird ones together that weren't long enough to really put an entire episode together. All sorts of sources. I know that the Kryptonaut podcast talked about a few of these. I used a lot of Jerome Clark's books, uh, Extraordinary Encounters, uh, Unexplained, a bunch of those. Check them all out. All of Jerome Clark's books. literature is chocked full of strange encounters like this go check out kryptonauts they do they stumble on some weird shit over there that being said thanks for hanging out with us today again check out all our other releases hang out with us at all our socials and stay safe stay weird and remember that Sky being, I'm talking to you. Spitters are quitters, even in the paranormal world.